Well, good evening. Thank you for coming this evening. If you'd like to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1. And we will pray and uh, get straight into things. So let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day and, and uh, Lord, the beauty of it. We thank you for the sunshine and we thank you for all you provide for us. We thank you uh, for the Word of God uh, and that, uh, Lord, it reveals yourself to us. Lord, may we learn something from your Word this evening. May we be challenged by it. Lord, may you speak through me. Uh, Lord, use my voice to be your messenger. And may, uh, may you be glorified and may you be praised through this evening. So we commit our time uh, in your word to you now, dear Lord, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Multiple times throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, he made a promise to those around him that there would come something special to them. Uh, I'll read it to you in John chapter 7. And verse 37, it says, And in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath, uh, hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Throughout Jesus' ministry, multiple times, he promised that he would send his spirit to be amongst those who trusted in him and that this would happen after Jesus was glorified. And that brings us to Acts chapter 1 because Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead and now he's on, uh, just waiting to ascend up into heaven. The disciples are all gathered together and in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, uh, he tells them what's coming. Verse 4 there of Acts chapter 1 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. That was back there in John and in multiple other spots. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And with that, there was a couple of other things spoken, and Jesus uh, ascended back up to heaven, uh, to the right hand of the Father. And while they were waiting, they didn't have to wait long because just a couple of days later, we know what happened in the story of Pentecost. Over in Acts chapter 2, we'll read what happens there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's all the uh, disciples together. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in their own language. And they uh, were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and uh, Cappadocia and in Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and in Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, 
and, the, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselyte, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues wonderful, the wonderful full works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. The story here is that the disciples there were waiting for the Spirit of God as Jesus had promised before he ascended. And when it finally happened, it was miraculous. There was many people in Jerusalem, as it said there, from all over, all nations under the heavens were there. And miraculously, these, I suppose what they would call uncultured fishermen from, uh, from Galilee, were all of a sudden speaking in all these languages from all over the world, and people could understand what they were saying. And they were proclaiming to them the wonderful works of the Lord. It says there that the wonderful works of God were proclaimed to them in their own languages, and they were amazed by this. They were amazed that this is what the Holy Spirit had done. Many people didn't quite understand what was going on. They thought this was a bit of a freak show happening. Others just mocked them, saying, oh, these blokes are just a bunch of drunkards. But Paul, uh, Peter got up, and he explains exactly what's going on in verses 14 through 21. And Peter, standing up with an uh, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken not to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days, and of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and noble day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter stands up to them and explains that what is going on here was actually prophesied several hundred years earlier in the book of Joel. And that's where I want to go this evening to have a look at what was promised and how it was fulfilled. So if you turn there back to Joel chapter 2, we'll have a look at the wonderful gift of the Spirit of God that was given. Joel chapter 2. Now up until now, while you're going there, the prophecy that Joel had was given to those in Judah and to the Jews. It wasn't given on a broad spectrum to everyone. It was only given to the Jews. And it was all about the day of the Lord toward Israel. Now, if you remember, the day of the Lord was God's reckoning, God's day of reckoning, when God would right the wrongs done against him. And the first two and most, most of the first two chapters, sorry, was about God and Israel and God and Judah, about how God would um, deal with them. We saw that in chapter one, that it was about the day of the Lord as they were currently going through with that locust plague. The start of chapter 2 was about a future day of the Lord, a future judgment that was going to come upon them if they didn't repent. And then God called them, as we saw, to, a, to personal repentance, followed by a call to national repentance. 
And finally, last time we saw that God allowed them to see what would happen if they repented and the restoration that God would provide to them and his grace that he would give to them if they repented. All because Israel had so long sinned and been uh, guilty of forsaking the Lord. But I think by the end of this, Israel must have been thinking that, hang on, God's being pretty harsh on us here. All these gods that we're serving and worshipping, they've actually come from out there. Someone else has given to them, them to us. And I get the feeling Israel were probably looking outside and going, hang on, this is, God's going hard at us. But I think God, you know the old saying that you have to get your own house in order before dealing with other things. I think that's what God was doing here. God was saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to sort you out first and then I'll show you what is going to happen with the rest. And so the rest of the book of Joel is mostly concerned about what God's going to do with everyone else and how the nations round about are going to be affected uh, by this. And Joel chapter uh, 2 verse 28 is where this all starts. Let's have a read of it there. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in, the, in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. This here is the very passage that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. It was the day that they'd been waiting for, the day when the Spirit would be poured out. And Joel, all these years, hundreds of years before this happened, he prophesied it. I want to break it down quickly and have a look at this prophecy so we can understand it a little bit better. He starts there with talking about, it shall come to pass afterward. This is after Israel had been dealt with, after these plagues had been, had been gone through, after Israel had had their chance to repent, God was going to turn it onto this prophecy. And it was purely up to God's timing. It wasn't around anything else. It was purely up to God and when God wanted to make it happen. Now, back in Acts chapter 2, Peter refers to this as the last days. Peter says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. By this stage, Peter understood that what was going on here was that this prophecy was actually very critical to the, the world. Because you see, up until the point of this prophecy, um, the world didn't really have a timeline. It was just rolling along, doing its thing, and, and there were bits and pieces said. But this was the prophecy that was going to bring in the beginning of the end. It was going to bring in the time when God was going to allow everyone to come in uh, to have the spirit, but it was also going to bring forward the great and terrible day of the Lord. It was going to bring in the final, final day of the Lord when God was going to do his final judgment. And so this prophecy is very critical to the world as it stands, the world that we live in, because it's, like I said, it's the beginning of the end. It wraps, it sort of gives an overview of how the world is going to come to an end. 
Now, I know for, many, for a long time, people have struggled to understand how this all works because the prophecy is quite, uh, there's quite a lot in it. And as you'll see, the timeline of it can be a bit difficult to understand. But I think we need to understand that uh, when this prophecy was given, and especially with, with uh, Peter and the like, when they were viewing it, they couldn't see that there was space, there was sometimes some time in between uh, what was actually happening in each of the parts of this prophecy. I'm sure many of you have seen the, uh, the, the graphic of how, prophet, how we need to view prophecy over the years and that you know, you've got a mountain and that sometimes you can see another mountain behind a mountain, but you don't see the valley that's in between it. And sometimes that valley can be a massive big valley, it can be really huge, it can be a plateau, but you can only see the two peaks from where your vantage point is. And that's the way you have to look at this prophecy in that there is a great time in the middle, which is where we fit in, as you'll see soon. Joel could see the spirits coming and, and God's power at the end, but he couldn't see sort of what was happening in the middle, as we'll, as we'll look at soon. But the timing of this was that purely up to God, and we saw that when it started was at the day of Pentecost. And it was that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on all flesh. It says that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The spirit there is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the part of the Trinity, the part of the three parts of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the one it's talking about. And when it says all flesh there, much to many people's amazement, that actually means all flesh. It, it means mankind. It means everyone. It's not just a specific people as some people will try to explain it away, all flesh means all flesh, all human flesh, all mankind have the ability of this flesh. Quite simply, it ushered in a new covenant, a new thing to see. You see, up until this point, the Spirit of God was only given at certain periods to certain people. Uh, I'm sure you remember the story of Samson. Uh, I'll read you a passage from Judges chapter 14, verse 19. It says, And the Spirit of, of God came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Samson had to wait for the Spirit of God to come upon him. He just didn't have the Spirit all the time. He had to wait until God gave him that spirit. And, and that was the way it was throughout all of, uh, all of the Old Testament. There were times, David and Saul and all these ones, uh, there were times when the spirit of God came upon them and they had the ability to do all these wonderful things. But this prophecy was going to change all that because the spirit was going to be available to everyone. It was going to come to all men. Jew and Gentile alike, as we'll see, this was an amazing new covenant that, as we saw a minute ago, came into place at, uh, in Acts chapter 2 there in Jerusalem at Pentecost when it came upon the disciples and then further it went out to, uh, in Acts chapter 10 we know Cornelius and then it went out to the Gentiles and this was an amazing prophecy that we, we saw come true. But not only was it going to pour out its spirit uh, on all flesh, it was important that they understood what this meant. 
In verse 28, and I shall come to pass, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. This new covenant that they were going to have was going to be an all-inclusive covenant. It wasn't just going to be for a certain sect of men. It wasn't just going to be for the, the priesthood or it wasn't going to be for certain people who did a certain sacrifice or, or someone who had a vow. Or, it was going to be an all-inclusive vow, an all-inclusive covenant, and the Spirit was going to be available for everyone. And we know this is exactly what happened because we read ver, uh, verses like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 where it says, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This prophecy of the Spirit given was going to be for everyone. No one was going to miss it. Men and women, young and old, free or bondmen. It was all available to them to get access to the Spirit of God. This was something so revolutionary, something so different to what they had seen up until now. And we know that it happened because as I just read, there was no difference. By the time Paul came along, they all knew that there was no difference, no matter what you were. Acts 21 verse 8 says, "In the next day we were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. And the same had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Here we see the fulfillment of uh, this prophecy and that it truly went to everyone. Even the women had it. Such was the wondrous nature of this new covenant that they had. But the pouring, outpouring of this spirit would also bring in another day of the Lord. But before that could happen, there was a few wonders that had to happen around the world. And these are the things that haven't happened yet. You see, we can look at those first couple of verses and we can see that those things have definitely come to pass. Those things have definitely happened. We've got Bible verses. We've got Jesus did part of it and we, we, we've got the history to show it. But the future things haven't happened yet. Have a look at verse 30 there. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. It's interesting here that uh, Joel, uh, under inspiration, puts this in there because I'm sure the Jews are looking at this prophecy going, hey, they've got it pretty good, don't they? They're going to get the Spirit of God. They're going to get off scot-free. It's just going to be all good. And then he throws this in here to show that, hey, this, while the Spirit of God's going to be available to everyone, God's still in control. There are still going to think, be things that happen that are going to show that God's got a plan going on. And that this, this Spirit of God wasn't going to be just forever and ever and ever. It was for, a, shall we say, a limited time special until God comes back and sorts everything out. After this new covenant would ex uh, expired, God would have his final day. And Jesus spoke about this covenant, well, throughout all his Gospels in Matthew, Mark and Luke, 
and John. But Matthew chapter 24 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I think Jesus was aware of what was going on with his prophecy when he spoke of it. And furthermore, John spoke about it in his revelation, in Revelation chapter 6. Turn over there if you would, Revelation chapter 6. Where Joel talks about, uh, John talks about this sun and the moon is going to have each day. Joel chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. It says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto, uh, unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. The sun turned black and the moon became as blood. Almost word for word what Joel was prophesying there. That's what's going to happen. And these things are still to come. As far as I'm aware, the sun wasn't black out there today and the moon's still not blood red out there. I know there are times of eclipse and that, but not to the extent of the judgment of the Lord. But these were events that ushered in and so... I hope you can see the picture here that Joel is painting that when the spirit was to come, that was to start these end events that were going to culminate in the sun blackening and the moon going to blood and then God's great day was going to happen at the end of it. So much so that God calls it, uh, Joel calls it there in the end of verse 31, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. These things have to happen before God's ultimate day, his terrible day, comes. But as he did with the Jews, God provided a way out. He always does. His gracious nature always provides a way to get out of this punishment. And in verse 32 we see that, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Aren't you thankful that God always provides a way out when we get ourselves into trouble? And this was no different. God was going to provide a way for us to escape that terrible day. And we all know that it was fulfilled when Jesus came and died on the cross. When he came and sacrificed his, his life for our sin, Jesus did that so that we could be his, ch his children, so that we could miss the punishment of his great day. Romans 10, uh, 12 and 13 says, For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's exactly, that's just exactly what was prophesied. That because Jesus died, we can call on him and we can be saved because of that. Now I hope you can see here that where we sit in the picture of this prophecy. In that the Spirit's been given and that God has sent his Son to die for our sins. But the sun is still shining. So I think at the moment we're somewhere in the middle, probably towards the end of it. I don't know how much longer our world's going to go on. 
but we're sitting in the middle of this. And instead of getting worried about, I suppose, the wonders that are going to happen in heaven and the, the, the sun turning uh, to darkness and the moon turning to blood, there's a few things we can do while waiting for that to happen. Have a look there again at Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And we see the remnant. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in remnant whom the Lord shall call. The Spirit was there, was given to all flesh. And whosoever, anyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord would be delivered. Yet it says there at the end, end of the verse that the remnant whom the Lord shall call. You know, there's only going to be a remnant, a small part that's actually going to take that up. There's only going to be a remainder, the leftover, that's going to believe on that. There's only going to be a small amount that take up the advantage of having the Spirit. Is that you? Have you taken uh, advantage of that? Have you believed? Have you believed for the deliverance from the great day of the Lord? Are you part of the remnant? A bit like Joel when he gave this prophecy, he had no idea when this was all going to take place. He saw it, he was able to tell about it, but he had no idea when the, when the, the spirit was going to come. He had no idea when the, the, the moon was going to turn to blood. But he had to trust God that it was going to happen. We have no idea when that's going to happen either. We know the Spirit's been given, but we don't know when the sun's going to shop, stop shining and usher in that end times. Have you uh, today accepted the wonderful gift of salvation, the wonderful gift that shows of Jesus dying on the cross for us? Because for all those who don't accept that, the great and terrible day of the Lord is coming. And I don't know about you, but the great and terrible day of the Lord doesn't sound very enjoyable. So have you accepted Christ? Are you part of the remnant who has accepted it? And if you are, have you realised the privilege that you have living in our day that it is to have the Spirit of God indwelling in you? For the first, what, 4,000 years of um, creation. I know for some of it, God spoke to people like Adam and God talked to Moses. And there was, you know, bits and pieces of when God showed up and talked to people, but they didn't have the spirit indwelling them. Have you thought about the amazing privilege it is to have God's own spirit indwelling us? You know, the fact that God sent his son to die for us still boggles my mind, that you know, as Pastor Crockett mentioned this morning about how we as sinful creatures, despite the fact that God knew we would disobey him time and time again and that we would let him down and despite all those things, God still sent his son to die and take our punishment. That, that boggles my mind. But then not only did he do that, he then made us joint heirs with Christ. He, he gave us position that we didn't deserve. But then he gave this, his own spirit to indwell in us. The spirit that comforts us, that convicts us, that guides us, that helps us, that, 
there's so much that it does for us. It's, it's amazing to me that we have that inside of us. But it also amazes me how often I abuse this privilege, how often I let sin dominate my life so that this, the Spirit of God is suppressed. You know, I looked at, as I've been studying out Joel, many times I've looked at Israel and thought, man, they're stupid. Man, they are a really, really dumb nation. You know, they've, they've had God appear to them. They've, you know, their fathers saw miracle after miracle, whether it was, you know, the plagues of Egypt or whether it was, um, you know, David and Goliath or Joshua in the battle of Jericho or, or whether it was seeing the miracles of Elijah or, or all these things. They saw all these miracles and you look at them and you think, man, they were stupid because they so many times turned away from the God and they served idols or they, or they turned and, and made a calf or they just forsook the Lord. And I don't know how many times I've thought, man, they're, man, they're silly. But then I realise that I'm probably worse than they are because I've got the spirit indwelling me and I still forsake the Lord. I still at times strive for a life that's contrary to the Spirit. And I think that's something that we, as the privileged church of God, need to be aware of, that we don't abuse the Spirit. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. This will be our last passage, Galatians 5. This is what we should be doing with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, contrary one to another, for they cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, uh, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such likes. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. How often do we walk in the flesh and we war against the Spirit, that Spirit of God that indwells us? We don't bring forth the fruit that we should. Brethren, I know it's an easy thing to do, to walk in the, the lust of the flesh, but we shouldn't abuse that, that privilege of having the Spirit. May our life's desire be to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit, to bring forth the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, and all that that goes with it, that we don't abuse. Be like Israel that abuse their privileged position in God, Let's not be like that. Let's take, use the Spirit as it was given to us to share to others the wonderful gospel of, of Christ. Let's use it to bring forth 
the fruits and not abuse that wonderful privilege we have. May that be our desire this week as we go about serving the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for the prophecies uh, in your word. Thank you that, uh, Lord, hundreds of years later we see them uh, fulfilled. And Lord, we look forward uh, to seeing the uh, complete fulfilment of this. We thank you that you gave us the Spirit of God to indwell us. May we not abuse that privilege. May we use it to reach others. May we use it to bring you glory. Thank you uh, for your word this evening in your precious name. Amen.